We've been going through what I've called the series, The Long and Winding Road. It's basically looking at the Old Testament and seeing the message about Jesus that's given in Old Testament scriptures through the Old Testament prophets. So we started with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and how God, even from the very beginning of human sin, had already put in place a way where he could restore the relationship between people and God without doing damage to God's character, which includes his justice. Because that's the ultimate predicament that we humans found ourselves in. After the sin of Adam and Eve, we are not the clean, worthy vessels that we need to be to be in a relationship and a fellowship with God. We are sinners who rightly should be destroyed. And so the, the, the predicament from a human perspective is there's nothing we can ever do to get rid of that condition on our own to restore a relationship with God. It would take God to do it. But God had clearly planned and thought that out from before the creation of humanity. And he made us with an understanding that at a cost to himself, he would need to redeem us so that we would have eternity in fellowship, in relationship, in harmony, in family with him. And so we've been walking through that. We looked at the flood story. We looked at how the flood taught us uh, that, that, that Jesus, in a sense, becomes our ark, who during the condemnation and the judgment that God rightly brings upon unrighteousness, rises us above that and keeps us afloat and alive. We've walked through the imagery in the Old Testament uh, pictures within Abraham, for a little of last week, and today we want to finish that with Abraham. So I want to start us out in the Gospel of John. Now, those of you who are Greek readers, that says kata ioanein. And kata means when it's with the accusative, which it is here. And if y'all aren't tracking with this because you don't take Greek or Latin or any of that, don't worry about it. This is just a freebie. But some of you do. Kata with the, the accusative means according to, and Ioannain is the accusative, which means John. So this is the gospel, or as it was titled in the early church, John probably did not write that title himself. It was added by the church so that when they opened up the scroll, they would know what it was. This is according to John, and it is the story of Jesus. And in that story, in John chapter 8, there's some important information that uh, we looked at last week, but this week we're going to focus on a little different part of John chapter 8. So let me put it up here. Now, Jesus has been confronting the Jews. Not all of them. Jesus is a Jew. But there are certain Jews that, that he's talking to, and, and he's talking to them with a very serious message. He explains to them that even though they're children of Abraham, they've got an older lineage than Abraham. They're also children of the devil. They are the fruit of the serpent's work in the Garden of Eden. And even though children of Abraham, they still need redemption from God for that sin. So 
in the process of explaining this to them, they don't like it. They said, you know, we're not in bondage to anybody. We haven't been in bondage to anybody. We are children of Abraham. Of course, children of Abraham had been in bondage a lot. They were in bondage in Egypt. They were in bondage in Babylonia. But aside from all of that, Jesus in the process of this says, you, you need to put your faith in me because I'm going to be your fix for the problem. I'm going to be the restorer of this relationship. And so the Jews, when they hear this, and now we'll pick back up into the flow, John chapter 8, verse 48, the Jews said, aren't we right in saying you're a Samaritan? That's, that's uh, like I told you last week, that's rough language back then. That's, uh, uh, that's, that's calling them like, I don't know, a sooner or something. Um, <clears throat> Or, look, I didn't say Aggie. I thought about it. <laughs> or Longhorn. Um, are we not right in saying you're a Samaritan and you have a demon? Jesus says, I don't have a demon. I'm honoring my father. You're dishonoring me. He says, I don't seek my own glory. There's one who seeks it. And he's the judge. Truly I say to you, if you'll abide in me, if you'll keep my word, if, you'll, if you will hear what I'm saying and accept it in faith, you'll never see death. You will have that eternity with God. Jews said, hey, now we're pretty sure you've got a demon. Abraham died. The prophets died. And you're saying if someone keeps your word, he won't taste death? Are you claiming that you're greater than our father Abraham who died? Are you greater than the prophets who died? Just who do you think you are? Jesus said, well, I'm not here to give glory to myself. If I glorify myself, that means nothing. He says, you're going to see it. It's my father who glorifies me. God resurrects Jesus from the dead. God worked through Jesus. He says... It's my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say. You say He's our God. But you've not known Him. See, to, to know in this sense is, is, is to be intimate with. It, it, the, the word know means, means more than a mental recognition. It means an intimate relationship. He says, you don't know Him. You don't have an intimate relationship with God. I do. If, if I told you I didn't, then I'd be a liar the way you are. But I do know him and I'm keeping his word. I'm doing what he says. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Now that's what we want to really focus on. Verse 56. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Now the Jews said, you're not even 50. And you've seen Abraham. He's seen you. He saw your day. Jesus said before Abraham was, I am. Now when did Abraham see the day of Jesus? And that word see, I really want you to focus in on. When did Abraham see the day of Jesus? 
that is the plug that I want to talk about today. But before we get there, we need to get warmed up. So here's where our warm-up is. If we look at the Old Testament, the first five books, we discussed this last week, are the books of Moses. They're about Moses. They're about the Jewish people. They're about that story of Moses being born and bringing them out of slavery in Egypt and bringing them into the Holy Lands. The encounter of God with God on Mount Sinai. All of that's what it's about. But the books of Moses begin with the book of beginnings. That's what the Hebrew word for the book of Genesis means. We use the word Genesis. That's from the Greek for beginnings. It's a book of origins. And so it's origins not only of the human condition, which is what we read about in the creation story, but it's also origins of the Jewish people, which is what we read about in Abraham. And so with Abraham, we read uh, last week in uh, how, how Abraham was called out of Ur and he's taken with some of his extended family and his wife and he goes and finally gets to Canaan. And when he's in Canaan, God promises him the land and he promises it to his offspring. Although Abraham is childless, he's got a nephew, he's got other people in his household, but he doesn't have a son. And so he's promised this. There's a time where Abraham has to go down to Egypt because of a famine with his people. They come back. They settle in a different area. His, his nephew Lot gets taken uh, when some warlords come in and conquer the, the good land where Lot was grazing his, his sheep. They take Lot, they take his people, they take his, his sheep, his goats, his, his uh, livestock, I guess. Abraham pursues and he conquers the raiding marauders, wins back not only Lot, but the other people in that area who'd been taken captive. And in the process, encounters one named Melchizedek. We talked about how the encounter between Abraham and Melchizedek is one that, that reflects Jesus and the Messiah as the Messiah. But it's one where, again, like these Old Testament stories, it's veiled. You need to be able to see through the veil. But if you're looking carefully at all, you can see Jesus the Messiah through the veil. And so we saw that in the Abraham and Melchizedek story last week. And if you've not gotten to listen to that message or read it, you can get on the Internet, thanks to our incredible Internet team. You can get, and which includes our cameras and all of you folks, sound booth, everybody. You can get on and you can watch it or you can download the written lesson and you can read about it because I wrote the lesson and, and each week you can get these off of the emails because uh, the lesson is written out for you as well, always contains a bit more data than I have time to put into the oral presentation. So another reason you may want to download it sometime. But hey, it's up to you. So after the encounter with Melchizedek, Abraham continues to live his life. Now he's been told by God that, that not only is is he going to have offspring that will inherit the promised land, but that through the offspring of Abraham, all of the nations are going to be blessed. So someone is coming through Abraham's seed that will bless all nations. 
beyond simply those of his offspring. And that's something that Abraham knows and thinks about, but frankly, nothing much is happening. Oh, he tries to have a son. I mean, he, 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 but, but it's just, it's just not working. And so we get to Genesis chapter 18. And in Genesis chapter 18, Abraham is visited by three visitors. It's a very unusual story. And the church has worked for a long time to try to figure it out. Judaism worked for a long time to try to figure it out. But it's not really hard for us to look back and to see. So let's go to Genesis chapter 18. We'll get a little look at it, but then I really want to spend most of our time on the last story of of Abraham that we'll look at before we move on to his son Isaac next week. So look at this. It starts out, and Yahweh appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre. Now, you see, we know this is Yahweh, or the King James would have translated it Jehovah, because this has all capital letters, a large capital L and then smaller capitals, O-R-D. That's what English translators do when they want us to know that that actually is the name of God, which in Hebrew letters would be Y-H-W-H, or it's actually a Vav, so it's a German W, V sound. Uh, Yod-Heh-Vav-Heh in the Hebrew, Yahweh. So Yahweh, which is the name that God gave himself when Moses said, you know, people are going to want to know your name. God said, Yahweh, I am. So the I am, Yahweh, God, appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes, this is Abram, and, and Abram is, is uh, Abraham. I'm sorry. Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, three men were standing in front of him. So the church has struggled with this some. Augustine, back in the 5th century, 400s, Augustine wrote and said it's very clear to him, and I think a lot of people in the church history have agreed with him, that the three men standing in front of him were Yahweh. They were God in a Trinitarian form. It's a precursor to understanding that God is, in a sense, in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. When, uh, and, 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 you know, we don't want to press that too far. I'm not sure that that's, that's fair, but if you go to medieval paintings, in fact, go back to the PowerPoint for a moment. If you go back to Medieval paintings, a lot of medieval paintings of this scene will have the three visitors all looking very similar to each other because they want to reflect, and the medieval concept was off of Augustine, that this was the Trinity. And so you've got three as God. And then they also would generally, a lot of the medieval paintings would make the three androgynous with the idea that we know of God as the father, but there are also times where he's the mother of Israel. Um, you know, God is not a gender God in that sense. And so uh, uh, it's, it's, it's one where the, the medieval painters would often paint them somewhat androgynously. And so uh, that w- just a little art history to throw in here where art marries theology. Um, okay, so we get back to the text. 
Three men are standing in front of him. When he sees them, he runs from the tent door to meet him. He bows himself to the earth. He worships. And he says, oh, Lord. Now, here you'll see Lord is not all capitals. It's because it's a different Hebrew word. Okay? Um, oh, Lord, if I found favor in your sight, don't pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourself under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after you may pass on since you've come to your servant. And they said, do as you've said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah. He said, quick, grab three seahs. That's about seven quarts of flour. Seven quarts That'll make some bread. Knead it and make cakes. Think flat bread, pita type bread. Abram ran to the herd. He took a calf, tender and good. He gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Took curds and milk and the calf that had prepared. He set it before him. They stood under him by the tree while they ate. While they ate. Now, I don't know how many of you are cooks. I don't know how many of you are restauranteurs. We do have Tony and Donna alone here. But that's not a 15-minute fast food meal. <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is giving the best. Where is Sarah, your wife? Now, is that not just the way of it sometimes? Sarah, God's here. Go make food. Then get lost. We've got we've to do some talk. <laughs> Where is Sarah, your, your wife? Well, she's in the tent. The Lord said, so again, now we've gone back to Yahweh. Yahweh said, I'm going to return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now, Sarah may have been in the tent, but she was eavesdropping. (laughs) Sarah's listening at the tent door behind him. I love the way the Bible tells these stories. They're just so real. I mean, if I just stood up here and I didn't put it in Bibleese and I told you the story, It would make a lot of sense. So God comes. And Abram, Abraham, by the way, his name originally was Abram, father. God has changed it to Abraham, which means father of a multitude. He's kidless. So Mr. Father of a multitude, who has no children, is there. God shows up. He's in three forms or three people. And that means three mouths to feed. And Sarah, get to work. Get, get, get some bread. Get the guys making the meat. Slaughter the, the food. Let's get it going. And then he sits, the, the man, Abram, sits down to dine with, with God. And God says, where's Sarah? Well, God knows where she is. Abram, she's in the tent. Well, here's the reason why I'm coming back next year. And meanwhile, Sarah's like. And she's got her glass on the tent door. <laughs> you know, she's like 100,000 years old. So it's like cranking up the hearing aid, you know. Just, what? God says, I'm coming back next year. Sarah's going to have a son. Well, Sarah just laughs derisively. Like, <laughs> Then you're kind of like, oh, is someone on the other side of the tent listening? 
I love this in the Hebrew. See, Abraham and Sarah were old. They were advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. She was postmenopausal. So Sarah, that's medical terminology. So Sarah laughed to herself saying, am I worn out? My Lord is old. Shall I have pleasure? And Yahweh says to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child? Now that I'm old, it's anything too hard for Yahweh. At the appointed time, I'll return to you about this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah, bless her heart, she's like, I didn't laugh. Because she was afraid. God said, oh, you laughed. Now, this is funny, because laugh in Hebrew is the word Isaac. So when you're reading it in the Hebrew, she says, I didn't Isaac. God says, yeah, you Isaac. And sure enough, a year later, she has Isaac. Okay? And there's, I, I think, through the rest of her life, you know, she'd see Isaac and she'd think, man, don't laugh at the Lord, you know. Um, so the men set out from there. They go down to Sodom. Now, this is a marvelous story. It's a marvelous story because it tells us that God is at work. That this storyline that started in the very beginning, where God said through woman is going to come one who will destroy the work of Satan and restore the fellowship of God with his people. Now God has further sharpened the focus of the lens. He's zooming in. And he zoomed in on Abraham and Sarah. And he says, it's coming through Sarah and Abraham. And you know it's the work of the Lord because Sarah was in no condition to have children otherwise. So it's telling us not only is it coming through the work of the Lord, but this is going to be a miraculous birth. If for nothing else... Set aside the virgin birth. If for nothing else, just the fact that Sarah is going to have the child through whom all of the nations will be blessed. If you think about it, if you take this story out, you do not have Mary and Joseph. You take this story out, I mean, just ask yourself, take out your biological father or mother, either one, where would you be today? You would not. We know this stuff now. They may not have understood it then. I don't understand what, I don't know what knowledge of genetics they had. I suspect they had not yet unraveled the DNA code. I suspect they didn't know half the chromosomes would come from Abraham and half the chromosomes would come from Sarah and that without those two, the billions of genetic markers that make up the human genome would not be exactly what they need to be for laughing boy, Isaac, to come out. Can you imagine? Can you imagine being named Joke? 
I mean, this guy's the original Joker. He's just like, anyway, not, not like in the Batman evil sense, more like Jerry Seinfeld, you know, funny. So that's what's going on here. And it's a tremendous story. And it's a story that perplexes people. How can you say this is Yahweh God? And yet we see over and over and over again, the three in one, the three. And Yahweh, God, is speaking, but it's the three of them speaking. It's an interesting story. So if we go back to the PowerPoint, after this, the three visitors go down because they are going to deal with Sodom and Gomorrah. And uh, uh, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah is told. If we return to the PowerPoint, please. Then um, uh, at, at this point in time, we're going to shift stories. So... Abraham and the three visitors go to Sodom. And then after this, we finally get up to Genesis chapter 22. And here we've got the story. And I believe this is the story Jesus was reflecting on when Jesus said, Abraham rejoiced and was glad when he saw my day. How did Abraham see the day of Jesus? He saw the day of Jesus through the sacrifice he was asked to make with Isaac. Go to Genesis chapter 22. This is almost a blueprint for Jesus. I got to tell you, this is the kind of thing, if Jesus had come before, if, if, if Jesus had come before the Old Testament was put together, there would be part of me and part of all students of the word that would say, okay, some Christian manufactured that story about the sacrifice of Isaac because it just fits too much like a hand in glove with the story of Jesus. It's got to be made up. No, I mean, we've got... Very thorough understanding. There's no question this story had been written for centuries before Jesus. And this, this is not, this is, this is, this is the prophet speaking. This is what the writer of Hebrews says that in the past the prophets talked to our fathers about Jesus. God tested Abraham and said, Abraham. And Abraham said, Here I am. He says, Take your son. Your only son, laughing boy, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the hills on which I'll show you, which I'll tell you. Don't know which one yet. Now, this is a tough deal. So God says, go sacrifice your son Isaac. I want you to go to the land of Moriah. You're going to do it on a special mountain that I'm going to show you when you get there. Now, at that point, Abraham's got a decision. The decision is, yes, I'll do what God says, or no, I won't. Now, remember, Abraham is... Um, been promised that through Isaac, 
his offspring, Abraham's offspring, are going to outnumber the stars. So part of what Abraham's got to do here is decide, can I trust God? Because the God who gave me Isaac at a time in my life where it is an absolute cold stone miracle, can that God somehow fulfill his promises? And remember, Abraham tried to force the promises of God by fulfilling them himself. Sarah had said to Abraham, look, man, God said your offspring are supposed to outnumber the heavens or the stars in the heavens. It ain't happening. I'm barren. So I'll give you my handmaid and you can have a child by her. And they tried to manufacture an answer to the promises of God. And God said, no, this is my promise that I'm going to fulfill. You don't manufacture an answer. And so Ishmael was not the answer. So God has now given this miracle child with a promise. And Abraham has learned in his life already, trust God even in the face of the impossible. So Abraham makes that decision, yes, I'm going to follow God and do what he says. And I would suggest to you when Abraham made that decision, Abraham sacrificed his son at that time. Now, it hadn't physically happened, but it happened in his heart. He was willing to do it. And he set himself on the road to do it. That's important because it's three days later when Isaac is given back to him. So they load up what they need And they load up wood to do the sacrifice as a burnt offering. And they load up the the donkeys. And they've got the, the, the hired hands who help. And the scripture specifically says, On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and he saw where God wanted the sacrifice to take place. That location, if you follow through the Old Testament scriptures, becomes the threshing floor of Aruna on Mount Zion where Solomon builds the temple because that is the spot where God will meet humanity through sacrifice. Solomon's temple is destroyed, but the second temple gets rebuilt after the Babylonian captivity. Same site. That is the site in Jerusalem, what becomes Jerusalem, where the temple is at the time of Jesus, where Jesus is judged. So on the third day, Abraham lifts up his eyes. He sees it. And Abraham says to his young men, you stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham says, we're coming back. Abraham is clearly thinking that God, who has made a promise through Isaac, your offspring will be innumerable, that he can sacrifice Isaac and God will restore him. 
Abraham takes the wood of the burnt offering and he lays it on his son Isaac. So Isaac has to carry the wood for his own sacrifice up the hill. All of this, if you know the story of Jesus' death, all of this is reverberating with, with foreshadowing as Jesus has to carry the wood of his cross for his sacrifice, for his sacrifice. And then as Isaac gets up there, Abraham takes, uh, took in his hand the fire and the knife and they go up together. Isaac says to his father Abraham, my father. And Abraham says, here I am, my son. Now, I've digressed. I need to digress. Because this started out with God's instruction to Abraham and in the midst of not having the Elmo, I passed over some very important words. In verse 2 of this chapter, when God's telling Abraham to do this, God says, take your son, your only son, whom you love. And those words are echoed by Jesus in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only beloved son. His only son whom he loved. But the love in John 3.16 is God didn't do this simply out of loving his son. But it's a love for all of us. It caused him to want to fix the problem of sin. So we've got it here. So Isaac says to his father Abraham, my father. Abraham said, here I am. He says, we got the fire. We got the wood. But where's the lamb? Isn't it interesting? Isaac is calling out for a lamb for the sacrifice. Not pigeons or goats or many other things. Heifers that were sacrificed. And God says, or Abraham says, God will provide for himself... The lamb. God's going to provide the lamb. Of course, John the Baptist sees in Jesus. And when he sees Jesus, he says, behold, the lamb of God. Israel didn't sacrifice a lot of lambs. Generally, they would sacrifice goats or female sheep. Male lambs were rare sacrifices in the system. Lots of pigeons. Lots of doves. But behold the lamb. God will provide the lamb. So they both go up. When they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there. He laid the wood in order and he bound Isaac his son and he laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand, he took the knife to slaughter his son, but the angel, the messenger of Yahweh, of the Lord, called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, he said, here I am. 
don't lay your hand on the boy. Don't do anything to him. I know you fear God. You have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Abraham lifted his eyes and looked and behold, behind him was a ram, not a lamb. God's still going to provide the lamb. A ram caught in the thicket by its horns. Abraham went, took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. That place Abraham called Yahweh will provide or will see in the Hebrew. The, the Hebrew word actually is see. Yahweh will see. As it said on this day on the mount of the Lord, it will be seen or provided. One of the things that stands out to you is this one Hebrew word, Yerah, which is used over and over and over in this passage. It's the kind of thing, like, um, you remember, those of you who are my age or, or, or maybe older, maybe a little younger, you remember Fun with Dick and Jane and all of those little kid books like that and how they'd use the same word over and over and over so you'd learn it? Run, run, Jane, run, you know? Or, or uh, green eggs and ham, I do not like them, Sam, I am, I do not like green eggs and ham, would you, could you, on a boat, would you, could you, whatever, no, I could not, I do not like green eggs and ham, I do not like them, Sam, I you, you repeat things for people to learn, you would know the Hebrew word yirah if you read this story in Hebrew, because it's used over and over and over to communicate a message. Do you know what it means? To see. So you've got some of it here that you can recognize in the English. Um, on the third day, Abram lifts his eyes and sees the, whoops, sees the place from afar. But there are six or seven times where it says God will provide for himself the lamb. That's see, God will see to the lamb. And over and over and over, you've got this see, 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 see. He sees the ram. Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there's the ram. He calls the place, God will see, or provide is the way it's translated, but it's the Hebrew word for see. On the mount of the Lord, it was seen. See, see, see. John, Jesus said, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. This, this word see is not accidental. He saw it. Abraham saw what God was going to do. Abraham said it. Abraham said God's going to provide. Abraham said God will provide a lamb. Abraham said the sacrifice would be of a son. The story says, God says it's going to be of a son, an only son. And it comes out of God's a truly loved son. And so we, we get this story, and it's a profound story, but it's a story that, that, that is huge. Now, some people, I've added this slide, God said, what? Because some people say, what a horrible God to tell Abraham to go sacrifice his son. And some people use this story as a story to distort what God is. And, and what I would suggest that people need to understand is this was at a time in a culture and in a place where people did 
sacrifice children. It wasn't unheard of. And what this story actually is, is the exact opposite. It's God teaching Abraham, don't do it. God will provide. And God stops it. And this is one of the seminal stories that showed why Israel was different than all of their neighbors. And Israel, unless they became idolatrous, Israel did not practice child sacrifices, though the neighbors did. So when we read this and we think, oh, what a terrible God. Actually, this is a God who's speaking into a time and culture where that was done, and he stops it. The only child sacrifice that's appropriate, the only one, is of Jesus who willingly goes to himself because it's the only way to redeem humanity from their sins. So with that, we go back to this slide we've been using that started from Hebrews chapter 1. Over and over in different ways through the prophets, God spoke long ago. He used different methods. Sometimes it would be direct prophecy. Sometimes it would be a story, a foreshadowing, an illustration. But God did that in the Old Testament. And through His Son, we've now seen the deliverance. We understand the story. It interprets, it infuses the story with meaning. So what's the message that we've gotten so far in the Old Testament, having only made it through 22 chapters of the book of Genesis? Here's the message that's already there prophetically. We know now that the solution to Adam and Eve's sin is going to be a male offspring of woman. God said that to Adam and Eve. We know that this male offspring will conquer Satan but will do it at a personal price. Satan would bruise his heel as he crushed the head of the serpent. We know that God would provide a covering for the sin and the shame and the guilt, just as God did for Adam and Eve when he sacrificed an animal to give them skins so that they would not wear out their fig leaves. We know that there is a vehicle through Noah and the flood of rescue from God's judgment over unrighteousness. We know from the Melchizedek part of this story, the uh, more of the message, that Abraham's seed will be the solution. And that through Abraham's seed, the whole earth is going to be blessed. This isn't exclusive for Israel. We know that the, the blessing will come through one who's a high priest to God, someone who is intervening on behalf of the people what Jesus was. Someone who is known as the king of peace, the king of righteousness, someone who is worshipped by and blessed by the people, but also blesses the people. We continue to see this latter story as we look through the message in the veil. And we see that this is going to be from the fullness of God, that God, three persons, is behind this promise in this work. We see the idea that it will be the sacrifice of God's son, not Abraham's son. We know the location where it's going to happen. We know the manner in which it's going to happen. And we know there is an assured resurrection that's coming from it. Abraham saw it and rejoiced. He just didn't have maybe full understanding but he was already rejoicing. And how much more could you rejoice than you find out that God is going to do the sacrificing and your son's coming down off the mountain? Here are your points for home. 
Um, this is actually John, not Genesis. Pardon my typo. These are written Genesis, John chapter 20, verse 30. John, who told us the story of Jesus's encounter with the Jews, where Jesus spoke of this. John said, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. I mean, it's like a map. Google doesn't give this good of directions. I mean, this is pretty good. If, if the Bible ended in Genesis chapter 22, I'd have been a believer in Jesus. He's clearly the answer to what God had said he was going to do. I'm following the map. I love this Genesis over and over. See, Abraham sees, sees, saw, 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 looked up, saw, God saw, God will see. Everything. I want to be that guy. I want to be someone who sees what God is doing and gets on board the train. I don't want to live this life based on my own vision and what I want and what I plan. I want God to take my heart and turn my desires into his. I want God to turn my plans into his. I, I don't want to turn his plans into mine. I'm not the compass point. The compass doesn't point to me north for my direction. It needs to point to God. I want his direction. I want to see what he's up and what he's doing. And that's right where I want to be. Last point for home. The Lord appeared, three men. I don't know if that's the Trinity or not. I don't know if that's, I, 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 we, we, we don't want to overemphasize something like that. But I will tell you this. God was interested in Abraham. He was interested in Sarah. He was also interested in Hagar, the outcast mom of Ishmael and interested in Ishmael. God's interested in you. This isn't the kind of thing where God's just interested in a few really cool people. God knows your name. And God is interested in you. He cares what's going on in your world. He cares what's going on in my world today. He's got 8 billion of us running around this planet. And the God who's outside of time knows every thought in your head and has plans for you. And that just thrills me. I want to follow him. I want to follow the God who's interested in me. I'm excited to see you back next week. Next week we're going to continue this and we're going to tell maybe one of my favorite, if not my favorite, stories in the Old Testament. And it's the story of Isaac. No, actually of Jacob. We're skipping over to Jacob, son of Isaac. So can I bless you and we'll leave. Father, in the name of Jesus, I bless those hearing this word today. Uh, uh, Father, with your graciousness, with your peace, with your love, with a strong sense of direction from you. Father, would you quicken hearts to want to follow you? Would you instill within us greater faith and greater understanding and greater wisdom? and greater discipline, and, 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 and greater love. And may we reflect your glory to the world around us through the things we say and the things we do. 
We pray to you through the righteousness that we have, through the sacrifice you provided. In the name of Jesus, amen. Mm-hmm.